Today's Bible reading is taken from Luke chapter 11, verse 14 to 36. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had become mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, By Beelzebul, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebul. Now if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, got his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armour in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places, seeking rest, and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, This is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man to be this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body is also full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body is also full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be just as full of light as when the lamp shines its light on you. This is God's word. Evening, everyone. My name's Scott. I'm the student minister. Let's pray as we come to God's word together. Heavenly Father, these words are challenging words to us. 
Father, please would we hear them rightly. Please would we respond rightly, that we might um, live rightly and bring glory to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In our passage this evening, Jesus challenges our preference for sitting on the fence uh, spiritually. See, it's, it's easy for us, isn't it, to make excuses for why we don't do what Jesus calls us to do. We say things like, well, can we really know for sure that that's what Jesus is saying? Isn't it, isn't it just better to stay neutral, uh, spiritually speaking, to not commit one way or the other, to just sort of hedge our bets in the middle? The passage this evening, Jesus says, no, you can't do that. Not only is it, is it not advisable, it's, it's actually impossible to do that when it comes to Jesus. See, sometimes, um, even when you are a Christian, you, you want to live for Jesus, but a particular thing that he says makes you hold part of your life back. Um, you want what Jesus offers, but you don't want to do everything that he calls you to do. Maybe it's um, a particular area of your life, like your reputation, um, or your relationships, or your career, that you know if, if you actually do what Jesus is calling you to, will suffer. Or maybe it's, um, maybe you're looking in on Christian things. Maybe you've been tuning in uh, during lockdown, interested as an interested observer. It's great that, that you've been able to tune in, and I'd encourage you to keep doing that. But this passage makes clear that tuning in is, is, is not enough by itself. Just a, a vague interest or even intrigue about Jesus is not enough. You've got to put your trust in him. You've got to follow him. You've got to, in the words of this passage, repent and obey what he calls you to. That's a challenge for all of us here as we come to these words of Jesus. Let me remind us of where we're up to in Luke's gospel. Um, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and he's teaching uh, his, his followers what it means to follow him. He's taught that it means to deny yourself, to lose your life in order that you might gain it. It's not the easy road, it's the way of the cross because that is where Jesus is heading. Last week uh, we saw that following Jesus is about listening to him and looking to him. And now in this section uh, that our passage begins, that Jesus coming up against those who refuse to obey. Those who see what Jesus is doing, hear what he's teaching, and yet refuse to acknowledge that he is Lord over all of their lives. In our passage this evening, Jesus drives out a demon from a man who is mute. Now, let me say before we dive in that that may bring up some questions for you, the whole area of demons and driving them out. And by all means, ask the questions you have about that and maybe do that at the end in the Q&A. But don't let, that, don't let that distract from the point Jesus is making here. This, this passage is not here to convince us that there is a spiritual realm. Um, it, it assumes that there is, that there are forces of good and evil. And it shows clearly that Jesus has power to drive them out. 
So don't let those uh, sort of questions get in the way. Uh, let's dive in uh, to verse 14 again. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke and the crowd was amazed. See, some people see what Jesus does and are amazed. But the rest of the passage focuses on two wrong responses. Verse 15. But some of them said, by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. See, there are two groups, two objections that Jesus will deal with. There are those who see what Jesus does and say it shows he's on the side of evil. That seems quite a strong statement, but I think there are contemporary equivalents to that. And um, some of the new atheists um, would, would get pretty close to that. And they wouldn't use the same language, but certainly the essence uh, gets pretty close. Jesus is dangerous. And um, his message is harmful to our society and would be much better off uh, if we left all that behind. That's a fairly extreme version. There's a subtler version of it, I think. Um, people who would say things like, Jesus is claimed to be the only way to God. Jesus teaching that we have to deny ourselves in order to follow him. Well, those sorts of statements sound very exclusive, almost repressive um, to our modern ears. And so there'd be plenty of people today, I think, would say Jesus is just wrong in what he says. That's the first group Jesus is having to deal with. Those who say Jesus is on the side of evil. He's just wrong. The second group um, are those who see what Jesus does and say, give us a sign. Give us a sign from heaven. We want more. Make us believe. And I think that's pretty common today too, isn't it? Um, even Richard Dawkins agrees that you can't 100% uh, prove that God doesn't exist. But of course, in his mind, it's such a small possibility that it's not even worth uh, considering. Again, there's a more subtle version of that, isn't there? There's, there's that sort of sense of people who say, I, I just feel like I can't know. You know, if God made himself clearer, um, if there was more evidence, maybe then I'd believe. But I just, don't, I just don't see it. Jesus responds to each of those groups in turn. And he warns us against making either of those wrong responses. That's what we're going to see. We're going to see that Jesus teaches that we're not to dismiss Jesus as evil and that we're not to demand more signs than he has given. Firstly then, uh, the first point, don't dismiss Jesus as evil. See, some want to claim that Jesus is working on the side of evil, but Jesus says that makes no sense. Because a kingdom divided against itself will fall. Look at verse 17 again. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebul. He's saying, look, it's obvious. No, no army would employ friendly fire as a deliberate tactic. That would be crazy. Klopp's Liverpool side who've just won the Premier League, they didn't win it by doing their own thing, by shooting in different directions, by tackling one another. That, that just wouldn't work. 
Jesus says, this isn't a divided kingdom. This is a totally different kingdom. This is God's kingdom. Look at verse 19. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. He's saying, look, don't make up some crazy conspiracy theory for why Jesus is on the side of evil. See what's in front of you. Because far from showing that Jesus is on the side of evil, the fact that he has power over evil shows that God's kingdom is coming. God's kingdom where evil will have no place. Jesus is able to overcome evil, not because he is evil, but because he is more powerful than the forces of evil. Verse 21, when a strong man fully armed guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away his armor. He takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. See, in that example, Jesus is the someone stronger who comes and overpowers evil and sets free those who are trapped by it. Jesus says, I'm, I'm not working on the side of evil. God's kingdom is coming. And then Jesus gives us three implications which challenge our preference for sitting on the fence. First thing he, he challenges with is, he says, look, if you're not with me, you're against me. Verse 23, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. If you're not with Jesus, if you're not prepared to deny yourself and lose your life to follow him, then you are against him. Um, there is no neutral ground. There is no spiritual Switzerland where you can sort of sit comfortably and, and assess the opposing views neutrally. If you're not gathering with him, you're scattering. What's that about? It's a slightly strange thing to say. It's, it's a shepherding image. Um, I don't know how you used to uh, spend your Sunday evenings uh, growing up back in, in my house. Uh, we used to watch a program, which I don't think is around anymore, called One Man and His Dog. Um, I looked on YouTube to check it was actually a thing and I wasn't just making it up. Uh, it is a thing, or it was a thing. It's basically sheepdog trials uh, where, you know, sheepdogs who are good at rounding up sheep uh, and their owners um, uh, compete against one another to see who's the best at rounding up sheep. Um, what's the point of that? Well, a dog can do one of two things in a field of sheep. Either it listens to its master and helps to gather them in uh, quite impressively, actually, quite grippingly, if you want to go on YouTube and check it out. It can either help to gather in the sheep or it's terrifying the sheep. It's driving them to the four corners of the field. It's, it's pushing them over the edge of a cliff. Jesus says, if you're not helping gather in my people, you are scattering. It's one or the other. There is no middle ground. That's the first implication. If you're not with Jesus, you are against him. The second, second implication that Jesus draws out is, is that a vague connection to Jesus is not enough. That's what he's getting at in, in verses 24. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through the arid places seeking rest and does not find it. 
Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. What Jesus is saying there is, it is possible to receive some blessing from being around Christian things. But it isn't enough just to be around them. So it's, it's not enough to say, I'm really glad that mum took me along to church growing up. Um, I really value the role that Christianity has played in shaping our society. It's, it's not enough to say, well, I've, I've quite enjoyed dipping into church um, while I've been in lockdown. I haven't had anything better to do with my Sunday evenings. Um, it's it sort of given me a, a sense of perspective, um, almost, I'd say, an, an inner peace. But I'm, I'm not going to go any further with it. Uh, it sort of ends as lockdown ends. Jesus says here, that, that's not enough. If that ends up being all it is, then you may well end up in a worse place than where you began spiritually. Why, why is that? Why does, why does Jesus put it quite so strongly as that? Well, I think it's possibly because having some sort of vague connection to Jesus gives you, could give you some false idea of security. It could give you the idea that when it comes to it, um, God will be impressed by your mild interest. But as we've seen all the way through Luke's gospel, Jesus demands much, much more than that. He calls us to hear and to obey. We get that again here. That's the third implication he draws out. We must hear and obey. Verse 27. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. Jesus replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. See, a vague connection is not enough. Even the closest of connections is not enough. Jesus with his mother. I mean, who knew um, Jesus better? Uh, Mary had, had known him from his very first moments on earth. But Jesus says, even that is not enough. Blessed rather is the one who hears the word of God and obeys it. And that is wonderful because we can hear the word of God. But it is also a challenge because our response really matters. Jesus says we must obey. So the implication for us is, I think, don't, don't use the fact that Jesus says some things that you find hard. Don't use that as an excuse to dismiss him altogether. Let me put it like this. Would you really expect God to agree with all of your views in every detail? Would there really be no challenge that God would give to your life? Don't dismiss him just because he says hard things. The call to hear and obey is a challenge for all of us, whether we've been a Christian for many years or whether we're brand new to Jesus' words. But don't dismiss Jesus as evil, as wrong. 
That's the first group Jesus deals with. Then Jesus turns uh, to the other wrong response. To those who back in verse 16 had tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. And the lesson to them is this. Don't demand more signs than Jesus has given. Verse 29. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be assigned to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. See, some people want more than what Jesus is giving them. But Jesus says they have what they need. The only extra sign they'll be given is this sign of Jonah. What's, what is that? Well, Jonah was, uh, was the one who back in the Old Testament famously ended up in, in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights uh, before being rescued by God and, and sent again to preach uh, to the Ninevites. And by comparing himself to Jonah, Jesus pointing forward to his death, three days later, his resurrection. He's saying that is the ultimate sign of God's work in him. So don't ask for more. Jesus gives two examples uh, from the Old Testament um, to, to illustrate that. The Queen of the South, um, or the Queen of Sheba, um, she of the arrival of uh, fame. Um, I would sing it, but I tend to get it confused with the Imperial March uh, from Star Wars, uh, so I'll leave that one for another day. But when the Queen of the South heard about King Solomon's wisdom, she came from the ends of the earth to hear him, even though he was just, he was just a king. He was a wise king, but just a king. In a similar way, the Ninevites responded when Jonah went to preach to them. They responded to his preaching by turning, repenting, turning from their evil and back to God. And Jonah, well, he was just a man. They responded rightly with far less to go on than the people in Jesus' day. The right response, it's a bit like New Zealand in this pandemic. They responded rightly, even though at the time the evidence wasn't altogether clear, so we keep being told. But now here is Jesus. Here is Jesus doing a greater thing, teaching a greater thing, and the people refuse to repent and obey. They're like the country who, who having seen some of the evidence, still refuse to believe that coronavirus is a threat. And you think, how could anyone do that? And yet they do, and they are. The evidence for Jesus is there. How will this generation, how will you respond? See, to say there is no sign can never be an excuse for rejecting Jesus. And we have all we need in his life death, resurrection, teaching, 
Um, it is all here in the pages of the Bible for us. He could not have made it any clearer. And so if you refuse to accept what Jesus says, what he calls you to do, well, that is your decision, but you can't blame it on a lack of evidence. And knowing that, I think, helps us make sense of what Jesus presses home in this last little section from verse 33. No one lights a lamp, then puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in may see its light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body also is full of light. But when they're unhealthy, your body also is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it is dark, it will be just as full as light of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. It's a bit involved what Jesus is saying here, but I think what he's basically saying is, look, I've made myself clear. I have been seen clearly. Jesus is the lamp on the stand. He's not hidden away. He is there for everyone to see the light that anyone can see. If you refuse to accept it, if you refuse to accept him, the problem is not with the light. The problem is with you. If you choose to reject what Jesus says, the things he calls you to, the issue is not with Jesus and his words. It is with you and me. Jesus' challenge then in verse 35 is this, see to it that the light within you is not darkness. What does that mean? I, I think he's saying, if you are choosing to ignore and reject what Jesus says, are you very sure that you're right to do that? Are you really sure? Because everything depends on your response to Jesus. If you're a Christian um, struggling to obey Jesus in an area of your life, or, or if you're not yet a Christian and you're just wondering if any of this is true, is it worth it? Don't dismiss Jesus as evil. That would be a, an error. If he is bringing God's kingdom, you must be with him, not against him. And don't demand more signs than he has already given. You have all that you need to respond rightly in faith and obedience. The question is, will you? Will you do that? Let me pray as we draw to a close. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the Lord Jesus, for his warning here, for the excuses we so often make to ease our consciences and, and enable us to sit on the fence when it comes to things of Jesus. Father, thank you for the clear warnings in this passage that we cannot dismiss Jesus as wrong, as evil, and that we cannot demand more than he has already given. Father, help us instead of making those excuses to respond rightly, to hear what he says to us and to obey. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.